I, uh, I, I've been thinking about, I have, <clears throat> I have these ideas for funny t-shirts and bumper stickers. I probably should put, put a little side business together. One of us telling dad is, uh, get a t-shirt that says, uh, real big letters, walkers, and then have, have like a drawing of a walker on it. This is not just for old people anymore. Because <laughs> Aaron had to have one, right? This is a new yeah, we've already gotten rid of it. Yes, not not new, not new. Same as last week. This is part two. I think it says on your bulletin there, right? Part two. The title is "You Are of Your Father, the Devil," which was ironically first started on Father's Day. I pointed out last time. I didn't think about that until I already had the title down and and. Uh, but it's it relates to the sort of the punchline that Jesus gives there to them. It's a really really uh, bold uh, statement. I don't think when he delivered that it wasn't intended to be like out of anger, you know, like that. It wasn't it wasn't that. It was it was an honest evaluation, okay, an indictment. It wasn't an insult. It was an indictment. And we're going to be looking at that. But I do have uh, four copies here, so if anybody wants one, raise your hand. Erica, I know does. Okay. Thank you. Anybody else? We have one more there. Everybody needs it. Let's have a word of prayer as we get started with my clock. Father, we, we pray a lot here at the church because, uh, <clears throat> and we should do the same in our, in our Christian walk too, because we recognize that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who do build it. We recognize that our, our efforts this past week trying to fit VBS into an already busy week with, with uh, just regular life, school and work and uh, grocery shopping and just living, fixing meals, cleaning up, all of these kinds of things, and then to, to add VBS on top of that, um, we recognize that it's important to do these kinds of things and to set aside our, our own, sometimes our own rest, our own pleasure, uh, to advance what we believe is your cause. But we also know that it is a, is a waste of time and effort if you're not involved. And so uh, even as we un unpack this portion of scripture in John 8, uh, there's a warning not just for them, but for us as well. We could, in fact, be doing what we're doing for reasons uh, in, in true reality in the spiritual world. If we could see behind the curtain, so to speak, it may not be the one directing it that we think. And so I pray that, in fact, uh, this morning, as we continue with our worship service and we now move to the to the part where we open your word i pray that you would speak to us help us to really listen not just hear but to really listen i pray that you'll open many hearts and you, you will do this for your glory uh, we call on you we beg you to come to and to uh, do your work that only you can do i pray this in jesus name
last week, uh, we started uh, just kind of going through the top part of these notes, right? And I just introduced, we did read the text in passing just real quickly. We also closed last week by looking at uh, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. We'll spend a little more time in there. It's, it is on your notes, the last bullet point. Um, but I, I always like to, you know, not just interpret or not just um, observe what's in the text and, and, and pull out what we call exegete, right? Hopefully we're not eisegeting. Exegeting simply means reading out of it what's there. Eisegeting is putting in, you know, trying to make it fit to foregone conclusion. You can do that with other things too, not just the Bible. Um, somebody can talk to you. You ever had a conversation with somebody and they say, well, I told you that. And, and you come back later, well, I'm pretty sure I didn't. It turns out they did tell you, but you heard what you wanted, you know? So we can do that in other contexts too. We don't want to do that in the Bible. But I also like to, um, I heard a, heard a preacher say one time, the Bible has one meaning, and that's true, but it has many applications. So I always like to have us think about how what we're looking at applies to us. And then we're going to continue that this morning um, because there's a, there's a pretty serious warning here, not just for them, but for us too. And I include myself. All right, so uh, we looked at this last time, the conversation to this point, right? We're kind of interrupting. We're right in the middle of, of what Jesus is talking. What he's saying is he's talking to these Jewish leaders. And remember that this is the fall of the year. Next spring, he'll be crucified, right? So on our calendar, this is maybe September, October time frame. And then uh, here comes Passover in the spring, which again on our calendar is late March, early April, right? Whenever you see Easter Sunday floating around, you know that's around the same time as Passover, okay? <clears throat> and so here, here he is at the Feast of Tabernacles, and John has already introduced us to the Feast of Tabernacles. We've talked at length about it in chapter 7, but now, now John kind of goes back, and he tells us about this conversation, and I uh, I've looked and looked at, at this, and I, best I can tell, this is happening in the temple. Um, it, because you look at verse, uh, very last verse of chapter 8, 59 says, So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Okay, So the time of the, that this is happening is in the middle of this fantastic Feast of Tabernacles, which I've told you is kind of like Christmas on our calendar. So, a lot longer. It's uh, seven plus one days long, a total of eight days. Seven days for the feast, and then they had a, a high Sabbath right after that. Okay, and so <clears throat> it's one of the three festivals in which um, the the Jews, at least the males, twenty years and up, were required to come and present themselves before the Lord. So Jerusalem is swelling with the numbers of a lot of Jews who have come from other places. Right, a lot of people there, a lot of activity. It's the one of the three major feasts in which you are commanded to rejoice. That's why I liken it to Christmas. I mean, the one thing you don't want to do at Christmas is be a, a Scrooge, right, or a Grinch, right? Both of those are the analogies of the opposite of what you're supposed to have is the Christmas spirit, right? <clears throat> All right. We could go on that, but we'll leave it right there. All right. So there's a lot of joy. There's a lot of excitement. There's all these booths. They said it's what the, the name, the Feast of Booths from, right, or Feast of Tabernacles. These little booths that they set up, that they were required to, to set up. And we went through all of that. So this is all in the background. 
of this conversation that he's having with the Jews, the Jewish leaders there in, in the temple. And so just to get us a running start last time, uh, I, I'm just reminding us of what Jesus has already said. And that's what those opening paragraphs on your notes are all about. Okay. The thing I want you to see here as we set the pace for where we are today is those three things that are covered in the verses right before this. So on your notes there, it says we're in John 8, 37. That's where we're starting, right? Those, what, 11 verses, 37 through 47. But um, as, we, uh, as we do that, we, we kind of, 37 is right in the middle of something Jesus is saying. So we need to back up a little bit and start with verse 34. So let's do that. Uh, remember the verses just prior to this, he's established himself as one of two heavenly witnesses, the other one being the Father in heaven. And he is on earth sent like an emissary. That's what Messiah embodies. Messiah means a lot of things, the anointed one, but he is the agent of God, representing God, coming directly from him. This is his claim, right? And he's proving this, has been proving it, by giving them all of these signs, these miracles that he's been doing. Um, the greatest one is, the greatest public miracle anyway, apart from his own resurrection, is about to come in two chapters, three chapters, nine, 10, 11, um, three chapters with the raising of Lazarus, okay? But they've had lots and lots of signs. And Nicodemus affirmed this, remember that? Way back in chapter three, right at the very beginning, of Jesus' ministry, the very first time, uh, right after his baptism, he commissions a few disciples, and it's like he goes, it's sort of like the, the public launching event of his ministry is to cleanse the temple. And it seems like that night, Nicodemus comes to him and says, we know you are of God, and no one can do the things you do unless he's from God, right? So they knew it. Years and years of all of these things, and they're still questioning his authority. And he's, so he established that in the verses before this, that he is, he is here as the light of the world. He's turning the light on. He's revealing the truth from God. Effectively, here's what he's saying. Guys, I'm about to tell you what God really thinks of your religious system. Okay. Dad and I've been talking, you know, and maybe, maybe you have these thoughts too. What would imagine Jesus came into this church right now and we gave him the pulpit and he began to tell us what he thinks of Blue Ridge? Would you sit up and pay attention? <laughs> okay, yeah, all right. Well, we tend, I guess that's where I'm kind of going with, with the application here is there's, there's a little bit of uh, sobering thought here as we read what he's telling them to think that. We are susceptible to the same deception, and that is to think, to think, to be totally convinced that you're in line with God and, and, and what you're doing is, is pleasing to him, only to find out that it's not. That's pretty sober, right? I'm not saying we are or aren't. I'm not, I'm not here to throw off. I'm just saying there's that possibility here, right? We can't sit here and look at them and say, well, <laughs> yeah, thank Jesus. Open up both barrels on them, yeah, as if we're exempt from that possibility, okay? I think that's really where the application needs to come home for us as we as we look at this, okay? So um, 
So just again, running start, verse 34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever commits sin, and he gives three statements. Of, <clears throat> these are all in your notes there, right? One, two, and three. Uh, three truisms is what we call them in the last notes, all right? These are three true statements. First one here is, uh, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. You are a slave to whatever you obey. Just a fact, okay? Just a fact. A lot of people protest that. Now, they did. We're not slaves to anybody. What he's saying is, actually, you are, okay? And, and in their case, um, and, and we looked at this last time, but just to, to summarize or recap everything that we've seen to this point, what he has told them before, uh, for example, in some of the other Gospels, he says, come unto me, all you who are what? Weary and heavy laden. That doesn't sound like the language of somebody who's free, right? That's somebody who's under a heavy yoke. And ironically, uh, the rabbis in their writings for generations used the metaphor of a yoke, an animal bearing the yoke, as a metaphor for the law. And Jesus picks up on that when he says, my burden is easy, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Okay? <clears throat> it's it, what he's effectively saying. What they would do, by the way, what they would do with that too is anybody who didn't want to obey the law, anybody who, who fought the law, fist in God's face, and I'm giving God the finger, I'm going to lift. Anybody like that, they would call a yokeless one. It's like, a, it's like an animal that, that bucks and fights against the yoke and will not surrender to the will of the farmer. Right? That's, that was their metaphor. <laughs> And so Jesus comes along. He doesn't say, hey, I don't have a yoke. What he's saying is, I do, but my requirements are not burdensome. They're not uh, intrusive, okay? And uh, anyway, so, but here what he's saying is, you're a slave to whatever you obey, right? And he's putting their finger on the on the fact that, that they had a system of, of righteousness that was actually keeping them in bondage to sin, they thought that they were pleasing God. In fact, they're pleasing the devil. They're pleasing themselves. Okay? He's, he makes this point in chapter, I keep going back to chapter 5, because 5 is so important in understanding what he's saying here. Because in chapter 5, one of the things he tells them, and we're going to look at that here in just a second, um, he tells them that you, you keep um, commending each other, right? You're honoring one another, but you're not honoring me, and you're not honoring the one who sent me. Okay, so they had a system of self-affirmation. They'd affirm, I affirm you, you scratch my back, I scratch you. They had this whole thing going on. And they do it all in the name of God. But in fact, God is not pleased at all. They're pleasing themselves. And they are slaves as a result. Second statement he makes here that's a truism, okay, is um, this verse 35. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. That's a little hard to, for us to understand because we don't understand slavery. Our, our understanding of slavery is, you know, our own country's history. And by the way, it's not, it was not unique, not unique to America. Uh, black people didn't just appear on our shores, right? Europe was involved in that slave trade, and so also were, were fellow Africans. One tribe would conquer another. They would sell them as slaves to the 
European traders, they would bring them here. Okay? Got to learn our history. Okay. But we think of slavery that way, and I we explained this, explored this, that actually slavery throughout human history has been around a lot longer than that, than the past couple hundred years, um, was largely a way of repaying a debt. It's a credit system. And so once the debt is repaid in a fair and just system, okay, now I'm not saying every system was fair and just. It wasn't. There was a lot of mistreatment, okay? But a fair and just system, once your debt is paid, you are now no longer obligated to stay in the house, right? And that's what Jesus is saying, is that the slave's relationship to the house is temporary, but the son's relationship, and he says here, the son abides forever. The son abides forever. Why? Because he owns the house, right? The son is the one who's going to, who is the heir, who's going to inherit everything. And so this, the relationship of the slave to the house versus the relationship of the son to the house is very, very different. And then I love this idea that this is his father's house, right? This is this world, the kingdom of God that they were so eager for, right? That he talked to Nicodemus about in chapter three, unless you're born again, you will not never see the kingdom of God, right? You're not going there. You're slaves. You have a debt that needs to be paid. And that's the last statement that he makes there. Therefore, if the son sets you free, what? You'll be free indeed. So the one who has the authority has to forgive the debt or your relationship to the house will never change. It will remain one of debt. And unlike human slavery, where there is possibly after you know many years of service, a chance of paying back that debt, depending on how big it is, we can never pay this debt. So let's continue on then in our text. This is where we are here. And this starts, uh, verse 37 is the first point on your notes there. And it's it's uh, titled, uh, or, or just the sentence there, number one on your outline, right there at the very bottom. Okay, Jesus acknowledges their physical and spiritual descendancy. So remember, a few verses earlier, verse, verse 33, they say, we are offspring of Abraham and never been a slave to anyone. Okay. Then he tells them those three statements. Boom, boom, boom. Then he comes down to verse 37. He says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Interestingly, I looked this up and the word for son is a different word than the word offspring, okay? That's actually a pretty good translation. I think most translations I looked at capture that difference. They're not effectively saying sons of Abraham. They're just saying we're offspring of Abraham, which, which I think uh, um, it may sound like it's a little bit picky because a son is an offspring. But I think what, the, what is being said here is that they – they looked at their relationship to God as at least, or their favor with God, at least because of their biological descendancy from Abraham. Now, that's kind of strange to us. I think everybody in here is Gentile, right? We, we don't think that way. You know, we, we know better. We've been in church long enough to know that it doesn't matter if I'm, and we have all these flags in here, you know, and I, I like geography trivia anyway, and I'm a, Trying to identify what flag goes with what nation, and 
we have all these nations in here represented by these flags. And, and we're kind of like, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter where you're from. If you're in Christ, you know, we know that, right? That's, but to them, this was a big deal. And their descendancy from Abraham meant everything. That's, again, why Jesus, in, in talking to Nicodemus in chapter 3, it's so significant. The first thing out of his mouth in response to Nicodemus is, unless you're born again, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus, your first birth as a descendant of Abraham is not enough. You need a new lineage. You need a new origin for your nature. Because it's your dependence, your descendancy from Abraham as a physical descendant of his is not enough. Even through the line of promise, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's still not enough. Because remember, Abraham kid had had Ishmael too, right? <clears throat> not enough. Not enough. Paul talks about that in his uh, reflecting back on the time when he was uh, living that way, right? Before Christ. And he says, anyone has anything to brag about? I have more, right? And he drags out all those things that used to be of value to him. And he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Descended not just from any tribe, but Benjamin, right? Two of the, the youngest of the two favored sons of the favored wife, right? Y'all know that story, okay? That, that, that was bragging rights for him at one time, okay? That's, it's, again, sounds weird to us, but you got to put yourself into that mindset if you're going to understand what's being, really being said here. So he says here, I know you are offspring of Abraham. He doesn't deny that. So their statement earlier, we are we are offspring of Abraham and never been a slave to anyone. What he does is he first addresses the second part of that. He says, actually, you are enslaved. But now here he affirms what they said, the first part of that. Yeah, you are descendants of Abraham. Okay? So that's why I put in your notes, their physical descendancy, but, but keep reading, right? But keep reading there. Yet, yet, despite your physical descendancy from Abraham, you are still not his children because you don't act like Abraham did. This is what he's going to say in, in just a few minutes. He's going to elaborate on this, okay? I don't have to guess. <laughs> Jesus is going to elaborate on this in a minute, but this is what he means by that more concise statement here where he says, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. He's already established the fact that the word he's giving, the message he's giving, comes from the God who made, a, who, and we might say today, put Abraham on the map. Right? God is the one who made Abraham and his descendants anything. If they have anything to brag about, they really should look beyond Abraham to God, because it was not Abraham that called Abraham, Right? It was God that called Abraham and his descendants after him. It was God who made a covenant with Abraham and his descendants. Right? So by, by Jesus effectively having already told them that my words are coming from the Father in heaven, God, what he's effectively saying is that, that the word of God that came to Abraham that he responded to finds no place in you. There's more here than just being descended from Abraham. That's important. 
you need to listen to the God of Abraham. And what he's what he's what he's doing here again, we'll unpack this, he'll unpack this more as we go go on. But what he's effectively telling them is you trying to seek me, or sorry, uh, sorry, you're seeking to kill me, which is something Abraham didn't do. You're not acting like your father, Abraham, your your human descent. He didn't try to do that kind of thing. <clears throat> In fact, he's going to go really, really bold here at the very end of this and say, before Abraham was, I am effectively saying, Abraham saw my day, rejoiced. Abraham was excited to see me. But you guys want to kill me. You are very deceived. Yeah. Okay? You are very deceived. It is exactly the opposite of what you think it is. All right. So what he's doing, that's why I, I phrased that first line that way. He acknowledges their physical and spiritual descendants. Yes, physically, you're descended from Abraham. You're children of that covenant line. You're in that covenant line. But spiritually, you're listening to someone other than God. His word, the God who commissioned Abraham and, and gave that whole covenant and, and put him, his own reputation on the line to fulfill that is, the, is not who you're listening to. In fact, you are reacting exactly the opposite by wanting to kill the very one who's bringing the words of that same covenant-making God to you. Is this making sense? Let's move on. Let's see how we do. Point number two, Jesus corrects their trust in physical origins in Abraham. Okay? Let's keep reading. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's uh, I missed um, missed verse 38. Let's let's sorry. That's still part of part of the first point. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. That's what he's. That's the point he's making right there. Okay, which again is is the point that I'm trying to say is that he is. Yes, physically you're descended from Abraham, but I'm speaking what that same covenant-making God has made, but you're listening to somebody else, your father. Now, what's interesting here is he doesn't identify who that is, right? So they're going to they're gonna up the ante here in a second to going from, they're not, these are not stupid people, okay? They fully understand what he's saying. So they go from physical lineage in Abraham, in a minute they're going to up the ante by saying, well, we're sons of God, Right? They get it. Okay, all right. We're going to talk about spiritual lineage here. Okay, well, we listen to God. We got this whole law, all this this system that we have that we trust in the temple, and all. And we heard this morning, you know, about the whole sacrificial system. All of that comes from comes from God. It's not like all of these you know pagan nations around us, especially the Romans, you know, and their Caesar worship and all that kind of stuff, um, which I don't think was quite as hot then. No pun intended as it was a few decades later. But still, they had all their gods, right? The Romans had their little system. The Jews looked down on that, and they looked down on everybody else because, hey, we are the people of the one true God. What he's telling them here is, no, in fact, when I speak from my Father, you don't hear it. So let's read on. Then point two, verse 39. Jesus corrects their trust in physical origins. 
They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. This is not what Abraham did. Verse, uh, and then uh, it's, it goes on to 41a, first part of 41. You are doing the works of your father. Yeah. Again, he's he's still not telling them what that is or who that who that is exactly, right? So they answered in verse 39, Abraham is our father. Well, okay. If you were Abraham's, again, that's the same word. It's not the word for son that he used earlier. It's offspring. You're Abraham's children. I acknowledge that. I fully acknowledge that. Acknowledge that. However, you are not acting like Abraham did, right? You are not, you would be doing the works Abraham did. What did Abraham do? What did he do? He responded to the word of God when it came, right? In fact, he is held up in scripture. Uh, if you want an example of that, read Romans 4. Romans 4, Paul, Paul helps us understand that whole sort of the arc of Abraham's life and, and what it is effectively is he is a, a human example of someone, a sinner, who responds to God's word in faith, okay? And, and didn't, now watch this now, didn't wait for everything to be disclosed to him before he responded. It's important. Hmm. God has given enough in his word and has given enough proof for us to believe in. If you don't respond to what you have, don't expect God to give you more to get you to respond. See? We like to say, show me and I'll believe. God says, believe and I'll show you. I've shown you enough. Believe what you have and you'll see more. Abraham didn't see everything in his lifetime. The writer Peter tells us that, right? That he, he, he was looking for a kingdom to, at a city whose architect and builder is God, right? I don't know how he knew all of that. You know, it's not until the writing of Revelation many thousand, what, 1,500, 1,600 years later that we learn about the New Jerusalem and the city that God is building. Somehow Abraham knew that, but he did see enough, and God showed him enough, but it was progressive. It didn't happen all at once. God gave him enough. He responded in faith, and he began that faith journey. He had a lot of flaws. Right? We all know that. He did some things. That 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 I would that we frown on, you know. So do we, okay? But that didn't keep him from responding to the truth of God that, that he had. And so this is what Jesus is saying: is, yeah, you may be physically descendants of Abraham, but you don't act like him. You're again spiritual descendancy, right? It, it's you're not children of faith. You're children of the flesh, but you're not children of faith. You're not responding to God's word. You would be, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Jesus is not contradicting himself. He just said in verse 37, I know your offspring are Abraham. Okay? He's not saying, 
He's not doubting. Well, hold on, lead back up from that. No, what he's saying is, if you if you really were children of Abraham, not in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense, you would you wouldn't be doing what you're doing, trying to kill me. You'd be accepting the word of God, which would come to you is coming to you through me. You see that? But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. If you had to pick two heroes of, of the faith that the Jews, uh, kind of like, um, well, we have a lot of pegs on that board back there where we that Werner made for us to hang our coats, okay? But imagine there's only two of them, right? And the whole, their whole system of trust kind of hung on two, two men, okay? Um, uh, that would be Abraham and Moses, right? And Jesus has already confronted them about, about how different they really are from Moses, which is interesting, okay? And that you find a few chapters earlier, again, back to chapter 5, not surprising. Let me just read this to you. Chapter 5, verses uh, 45 through 47. This gets near the end of his discussion with them there. He says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. <clears throat> If, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my word? In other words, Jesus right there, there's a lot of things going on there. One of the things is he's equating his, his word to that the writings of Moses. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> some people have a problem of, of, you know, is the God of the Old Testament the same as the New Testament? Well, there he is right there saying, the same thing. He's saying, you know, you believe Moses, you need to believe me. They're on the same par. It's both the word of God. Okay? So the Jews, <clears throat> the Jews put their, their trust in these two guys. So back in chapter 5 is Moses, but effectively Jesus is saying, you didn't believe, you're not really, you say you believe Moses, but you don't really because you would believe me. And here, uh, in, in, in reference back, back to chapter 8, in reference to Abraham, he, he, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're descendants of Abraham. Okay, yeah, physically, but spiritually, no, because you would act like Abraham did. You would respond in faith to the word of God. So he corrects their trust in physical origins in Abraham. It's not enough to be born as a Jew through the covenant line of Isaac and Jacob. Says, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. All right, then um, just 41a, because we'll finish up with the second point and we'll be done, okay? You are doing the works your father did. Huh. Have we heard that before? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, uh, 
it's kind of like they start going down this this path over here, and Jesus is like, closes the door. No, eh, wrong answer. Let's back up. Let's come back to the same point again. Okay, well, it's this way. No, eh, wrong answer. Back up. They keep getting the wrong answer, and he keeps having to come back to this point because they don't they don't get it, you know. And so their next response is going to be what I said a minute ago, is that well, we're 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 born of God. We're, we're, you're going to up the ante a little bit, and then he's going to have to come right straight out and say the title of this whole thing is "You are of your father." You're missing. All right. So as we close for today, and we'll come back next week and we'll continue. I just want to I want to kind of end where we started with self-application. Um, and just to make all of us aware, last last week we uh, we read uh, Matthew 7 there that's on your notes. Point number three there, you see the parentheses and the end of point three. You've got a reference to Matthew 7. And we'll, we'll probably address that again maybe next week. But this is one of several passages, Matthew 7 being another one, okay? And Paul's own testimony himself, right, when he was a Jew, and the difference that, that the confrontation of Christ made in his life, all those things that I used to trust in, I now consider loss, what? Compared to gaining Christ, Okay. And, the, and why is all of this in here? Why, why is the New Testament so strong on this? Both uh, uh, Peter says similar things, you know, talks about God saving us from our former way of life, things like that. Why? Because we are also susceptible to the same thing. And we do have, we live in a Bible belt, and, and you don't hear this as much anymore, but when I was a boy, some people would kind of talk about how their family's been going to this church for a long time. You heard that? My pappy and my 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 pappy and my papa were both deacons in this church, right? And that's why I have my name on the roll there. You'd be surprised how many people believe that because you know I heard a story, and I'm sorry I don't remember which church, but I heard a story where a new pastor came in <clears throat> to a church. True story. And there were there were all these people on the rolls, the membership roll of the church, but only a fraction of them showed up regularly, right? Maybe on Christmas we might see a few more, you know. And uh, and so they made the decision to start just taking all these people, you know, may reach out to them, but it's like, and I think the threat, if I remember the story, the threat was there to say, you know, we're going to take you off the roll if you don't. You know, respond. You don't start. You know. People got really, really upset. I mean, you'd think it'd be like, I mean, pick your pick your thing, right? So, like, I play on a soccer team, right? If I if I pay my dues, but I never show up to play soccer, right? To be, I'm not really part of the team, right? I, I gotta show up. I've gotta, I gotta contribute. I got. You'd think it would kind of be like that, you know, whether it's a golf club or whatever it is you know we all we're all part of some kind of a little association that does something right but if you never show up everybody's in the back of their mind saying I, I wonder if if he or she's really devoted right you would think that that would be the perspective uh, yeah i'm sorry i i know i signed up for this thing but i just can't make it you, you brought me on board no why, why were they so upset because they thought that their name being on the roll of the church 
got them in the end with God, right? And it's effectively the same thing. No. Uh, your parents being Christians not enough. Your grandparents being being Christians not enough. Your your even your faithful attendance to church isn't enough. And what he told them back in chapter five, and I say again, verse 39-40, you search the scriptures diligently because you think in the Bible you have eternal life. But this, these are they which speak of me, that you won't come to me that you have life. You can memorize this book. I can memorize this book. All these verses we have posted up here, all right, we can memorize this and still be lost. <clears throat> That's sober. That's why Paul says, let each person examine his neighbor, right? <laughs> Let's examine Ted. Ted, come on up here. We have some. No. <laughs> let each person examine what? Himself. Have you come to Christ yourself? Is he real to you? Is, are you listening to his word or are you rejecting? I don't care what your pappy did, you know, even how much church attendance you have. I mean, I, I grew up, um, my mom, we had a navigator's memory system. I'm glad for that. I remember a lot of the scriptures, but it didn't save me. It didn't save me. I had to come on my face. And what is it that really saves me? kind of dealt with it this past week. I've been really, really thinking a lot about this because. Just dealing with where my, where my daughters are. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of you can play you can play the game you can learn the game you grow up in it you, you can you can learn to play it you really can just like they did. All right, but it boils down to this. It boils down to repentance. And the reason we don't want to repent, the reason we want to to, to let go of our sin is pride. We just don't want to to let it go. We think that humbling ourselves before. God, as the scripture exhorts you, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up in due time. We think that that's just the worst thing ever. You know, we just don't want to surrender. But that's what it takes. Surrendering, repenting. I don't have it all figured out. I still have my doubts. I still have my, you know, there's a lot here that still doesn't make sense to me. But I do know one thing. One thing we can all that everybody believes, even the atheists, okay? One, one theology everybody believes is sin. What I find is interesting is that so many, so many people love to see sin in others, but they won't see it in themselves. You know what I'm talking about? If you don't believe that, go on the internet and look at the comments. Oh, they love to lob, you know, accusation grenades across, you know, right? Accusing other people of we love to hate some other politician who's in office right now. Criticize them. Criticize the people in the church. Criticize, criticize, criticize others as if you yourself are not guilty of the same thing. They're trying to show for their sins. They think, they think the shelters are sins. They think they've got sins wrong. They're probably doing the same thing. They, they try to do it. It's like it's like I said this morning. I thought it was so good. The Lamb of God, Isaiah 53:7, was silent, right? We as sinners, whenever we're accused, if, if, if the accusation is just, we, we justify ourselves, right? We want to, like you said earlier, we want to point our finger at somebody else, deflect it, deflect it, deflect it, you know, make excuses for it. If we're unjustly accused, God, where are you? Why is this happening, right? But the only one who is really innocent had surrendered to the punishment and said nothing. 
That'll tell us where we are. Right? Heavenly Father, we're we're all in the same boat. Right? I, I don't pretend to stand up here saying I've got it all figured out. Um, it's it's very great. In fact, we can't come to you really and, and surrender to you really and repent of our sin really unless you grant that. And so I pray that you would. I pray. I, I would I would like to think everybody in this room is has a real relationship with you that is a is a familiar relationship, not one of an enemy, an hostile relationship. But the truth is, um, only you know the heart, and we can live. Uh, we can learn to play the Christian game. We can learn to uh, not only play it, but but be part of it and, and be part of. Um, Altering and setting the rules. The guys that he's talking to here were the religious leaders. They were the ones who were checking everybody else to be sure that they were playing by their rules. And they had lost sight of the fact that behind the curtain was not God, but Satan. And uh, I pray that that's not true of us individually and corporately as a church. If it is, as hard as it is to say this in public, I pray you'd show us because we want to know. So pull back the curtain for our church, for us individually. Help us to see and to know if we're just playing games before it's too late. We pray this in Jesus' name.